And welcome to the Plant a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is being recorded on January 29th, 2021. Abra Lee is a national speaker, writer, and owner of Conquer the Soil, a platform that combines Black garden history and current events to raise awareness of horticulture. She has spent a whole lot of time in the dirt as a municipal arborist, extension agent, airport landscape manager, and more. Lee is a graduate of Auburn University and an alumna of the Longwood Gardens Society of Fellows, a global network of public horticulture professionals. Welcome to the Plant a Trillion Trees podcast, Abra. We're so delighted that you can be with us today. Thank you, Eva. Thank you, Hal. I'm so, so happy to be here. And it's so great to see you again, Eva. I miss you. (sighs) I miss you too. Uh, But you have important things to do. So well, thank you. I'm out here trying to do the Lord's work <laughs> in horticulture. At least or make my mama proud. That's really all you really want to do, isn't it? You you want to make a lot people of ways. aware of horticulture and uh, the importance of soil to humanity. That connection. That Absolutely. Connection is so important. I think maybe we could start at the beginning. You were a, an arborist in the in a municipal sense. Give us a little bit of background about how you got there and where you've gone and where you see yourself headed. To clarify for those listening, because this is a tree lovers podcast, I was a municipal arborist with the city of Atlanta Department of Parks. So I worked with trees on public property that were dead, dying, and hazardous. I was not a ISA certified arborist in this job. I was able to... um do well in that job because I had a very strong background in horticulture from working in the nursery and landscape industry and also majoring at horticulture in Auburn. Um, I, that was, and it's not just because I'm here with y'all today. That was honestly probably my favorite job because I just, you, it's a, it was a job of a, a public servant working for the city of Atlanta and just being so impressed with the level of tree canopy here and, and just how beautiful the city is. And for a little background and context, how I got there, I, I didn't go to Auburn to major in horticulture. I fell into it while I was there. But looking back, I, I, I think I was predestined. When I was a child, my dad was director of park for the city of Atlanta. So I was always in the park and I was always around trees. And I also grew up in a neighborhood my parents coincidentally bought from a landscape architect who had worked for the city of Atlanta. So it was on two acres of trees and I lived in a neighborhood that was just covered in forest. And how I got there was honestly chance. Again, I was working for a landscape company. One of my friend's mom said, hey, 
city of Atlanta is looking for an arborist, you ought to apply. And to show you how old I am, it was still when you had to walk down to City Hall and fill out the application form in person. <laughs> so I did that. And to my surprise, they called me back and, and I was just, it was such a joy uh, to do the job. And then that job led to what I consider my big break. It, it, I guess how actors and actresses have their big break. Because I would have been happy being an arborist probably for the rest of my life. However, I was at a job fair and I was working with the parks department to hire tree trimmers for the forestry uh, unit, which is where the arborists and parks were located. And the people from the Atlanta airport were there and said, hey, we have a position open for a landscape beautification manager. Do you know anyone that could maybe possibly apply? And I was like, well, actually, <laughs> let me see what you're talking about. And that's how I ended up uh, leaving the arborist job and going into uh, beautification. And it's important because beautification, people don't realize, we realize it now, now that we're in COVID, that we are influenced by the beauty that's around us. We react and respond to it. And it's comforting. It's like Mother Nature giving us a hug. You know? Absolutely. It is. It yeah. is. Um, it's just, I think about how... Um, my mom lives with me now, so I'm, I'm helping to caretake for her. And again, that neighborhood I was telling you about, I grew up in, before I moved her in at the first of the year, I would just always walk her dogs around her neighborhood. And I took for granted how beautiful it was. And the pandemic made me so appreciative to just, it wasn't even just about the trees. It was me watching the hawk in the trees and just the way the the folks in the neighborhood were just interacting in that park and how much wildlife is supported by the trees. So just the beauty of nature, I don't think that we can ever, ever take it for granted again, ever. I, I think you're right about that. Um, you know, they're starting to use this term now, the great reset. I think what Abra was just articulating is, is uh, what a lot of people are experiencing is, despite the tragedies at a worldwide scale that we have never seen in our lifetimes, we're out there looking at hawks and we're looking at trees and we're slowing down a little bit. I'm not having that much luck putting my phone down, but as part of that reset and also looking at humanity, uh, our neighbors and thinking, how can we better be better people to our neighbors and how can we serve this planet to uh, our utmost ability? Abra, I just quickly wanted to share because Atlanta, I don't have a whole lot of history with, but uh, I did have one of those life-changing moments. Three years ago, uh, I went to the uh, Climate Reality Leadership Conference that was in Atlanta at, at your Civic Center down there. And okay. uh, that was with Al Gore. And it was three days of learning about the reality of the climate crisis. And that's uh, one thing that brought Eva and I together is this kind of shared realization that arborists need to embrace the climate crisis a little bit more because we do a good job taking trees down and chipping them up and dumping wood chips and processing logs and killing bugs. But if we're not involved with canopy restoration, then we're really kind of falling short. So those three days in Atlanta were a game changer and taken to the next level in the spiritual sense because Vice President Gore uh, is pretty tight with uh, Reverend Barber. So 
we had a night at Ebenezer Baptist. And even as I remember that night, you know, it gets a little emotional because it all came together. You know, you referenced your faith. It all came together that night in terms of this jam-packed church of, with, you know, all the historical significance there and hearing people of all faiths talk about it. And especially, um, I'm thinking about the retired Air Force colonel from Louisiana and learning about how the Southeast is so vulnerable, the Southeastern United States is so vulnerable to the climate crisis, right? I was, when you said about the, um, thank you for the, the kind uh, words about Atlanta, and I'm glad your experience here was a, a pleasant one. Um, I cannot remember who, what paper it was in, but I want to say it was either the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. They ran an article recently. I, I think I read it around December, and it was talking about maybe Mobile Bay, somewhere in Alabama had the most the, the, the ecosystem, which was at the most risk for extinction, and a high percentage of these plants, maybe like 30% were already extinct, and it was just this urgency to protect it. And I do think the South gets forgotten as this place of uh, just rich ecology. I, I think that people just look kind of to the stereotype and just forget about the, the landscape here that needs to be protected. So um, it, it's just so, so necessary to do those things. And, and I just, I mean, honestly, trees is just one way to do it, just one way to protect. I was looking at some plants in my woody plant classes that I was teaching, and there was a particular plant, I forget which one it was, but in the Florida panhandle, that's the only place where this one particular plant can be found. And they said it's so vulnerable that people are going there to collect it because if we do have any more than one or two major storms, the population of that particular plant might be gone. It's true that the South is very vulnerable and they do have such a, a rich diversity along the coast and coastal, um, coastal environments are diverse to begin with. And if we lose things like that, you know, how do we can't ever get them back. And we need to be aware of that. And I think so many people just aren't knowledgeable in that area. They just don't, they don't get it. No, and I, and I do I blame and I own because I saw it with my own eyes. I would blame a lot of the, well, first education, right? Not in terms of uh, degrees of education. I mean, education and the value of the environment here. I don't think that our environmental laws are just that um, restrictive. And I'm saying that as someone who worked for the city of Atlanta, and I understand how easy it was to remove a tree on a property, like incredibly easy. And the other thing is, I just don't know that telling people, well, you're risking your ecology, or the, the trees are collecting air pollution, or whatever the story is, sometimes you got to connect people culturally to trees and say, this tree mattered to your great, great grandma. I mean, that enough will make people say, wait a minute now, now you're talking my language, I, I might want to protect it. And I, then I think we can reel people in with the science or with the other reasoning. But I think to say, hey, it's destroying the ecosystem, that doesn't just resonate with everyone. But if you're saying, you know, this is part of your cultural heritage and your legacy, and it's part of 
what built the South, then people, it, you just got to meet them where they are. I guess that's what I'm getting at to, yeah, I, to understand I, why. I totally get that. And I, I have to share this with you. I had done a garden writer's presentation uh, on writing. And my course was, I asked the students to write down either words or phrases about the first tree that they had a connection to. And I just see people like gasping. And I'm thinking, okay, either they had, they should have had an experience with a tree. I mean, they're not, y'all, I mean, they're not teenagers. So um, afterwards, I asked them if, you know, somebody would like to raise their hand and uh, share their story or share their words, share their, whatever they wrote down. And this one person wrote this beautiful, short little golden nugget of information about her connection with her father and the tree, going back to what you were saying. And she could not, she could not stop crying during this presentation or her, her reading of it. And then you could hear all the whimpers in the rest of the room. And everybody was saying the same thing, that this particular tree had, you know, took care of me when I was young. I was able to climb it and I could go there when I was really mad at my parents or I could, I could you know, talk to it and, and know that it wasn't going to judge me. You know, those kind of things. And people don't think about that until somebody points it out to them. And yeah. that connection is, is critical for, for learning, but also uh, bringing up memories of the past and mm -hmm. how we are so deeply rooted with those trees. Whether we like it or not, we're deeply rooted with those, those connections to the soil. For sure, it, those trees raised her. And that's why, I mean, it feels emotional in my little heart. I'm just not gonna cry on your podcast, but wow, I feel that for sure. Yeah, and, and I think that that's the, the biggest connection. You know, little kids can tell you right away. I mean, I've done that with little kids too. And they'll say, oh my gosh, we have a blah, blah, blah out in the front of our house. And I love it because, you know, I can, I can do all kinds of things and play underneath it. And I could dig in the ground around it. And, you know, yeah. it's more playful. But when it becomes an adult who's talking about it, it really does trigger a lot of memories. Everybody has a tree store. Everybody does. Uh, you know, well, no, I'm going to interrupt because I might have to disagree. I, I do think, and as it turns out, the, the tree company I work for this week, we've been working in West Philadelphia. So it's been uh, back and forth down to uh, 49th and Haverford, if that means anything to anybody. A big uh, historic hospital uh, with a lot of trees, but the drive in and out, anytime I get go through the poor black and brown neighborhoods of North Philly, West Philly, and I see the treeless streets, it's pretty, pretty sure to me that young people are growing up mostly alienated. I don't think that they're getting those experiences of uh, getting to walk and, and, and touch a tree. And so, you know, our podcast is the Plant a Trillion Trees podcast. And um, obviously the scientists are saying plant a trillion trees and we can back down our carbon emissions and bring a, manage our heating planet. For me, from the most practical standpoint, you know, I can only do so much. And to me, in my lifetime, my hope and prayer is that the city of Philadelphia can continue to plant trees where the canopy is non-existent, which is huge swaths of our 
old urban inner city neighborhoods. And I agree with your comment. So correction, it's a privilege to have a tree story. And I think that when we look at some of the neighborhoods that you're talking about, um, some of the black and brown neighborhoods, even if we look at the history of urban planning in America, in places like, I'm just using one, Harlem, New York, because I know yeah. this tree story and the tree of hope and how yeah. back in the whatever, 1930s, I think it was, the city cut the tree down to, to build a sidewalk. Now, luckily, the stump exists in the in the Apollo Theater in Harlem today. However, oh. <laughs> if there's not trees in some of these communities, yeah. there could be historical planning and zoning reasons that were beyond the control of the people in these neighborhoods' heart. Uh, I mean, it, it's not their fault, not not necessarily yeah. part. And I will say for myself, we, the, the, so my, I told you my parents bought that house from a landscape architect. That was, it was a white man. So this was still also a level of white flight. I grew up across mm -hmm. the street from an 18-hole golf course, fully wooded in the city of Atlanta. So my tree experience came because of, we're going to be honest, racism. And yeah. I can also, I look around my mom's neighborhood now and the neighborhood is changing and it is becoming gentrified. And I realized that we're lucky. My mother has owned her home for a long time. However, that tree experience can be lost to a new gen generation because of the same reason. So yeah. it's a lot there. It's not just one reason that people don't have tree stories, but right. uh, the, the goal is for everybody to have one for sure. Well, I think that that's important, whether it's even if it's in a park down a street, if it can't be, if the streets are too narrow and you can't have a, a tree have have a park close by so that people can go and take respite in these places i think that's incredibly important for our, our soul it is and i to, to hal's point when he, he said he was in these black and brown neighborhoods when i was a municipal arborist and looking at trees in the right of way i remember yeah. going into a neighborhood which we would just call the hood. It, it was uh, lower economic. It was in an area called the Bluff in Atlanta, which is an area that is currently being revitalized, not to the benefit of the people who've been living there for decades. But the point of the story is, is that when I walked up to this tree and evaluated it, I didn't, even I, as a black woman in this black neighborhood, I just kind of walked up to the tree, didn't acknowledge the people standing on the block who were the community, it was their community, and when they asked me what they, what I was doing, and I said, oh, I'm expecting, inspecting this tree. Miss Jenkins called it in. It changed everything. And they were like, oh, yeah, I'm sure Miss Jenkins did. She called in everything. And they were like, well, what's, they wanted to know about the tree. They wanted to know why I was there. They were, what kind of tree is it? So wow. I think there's also this assumption that the people don't care. And it's just not true. They were mm -hmm. deeply into it. And they were like, well, you're an arbor. Like, it was just so cool to interact and, and see the joy and the inquisitivity. If I said that right, I'm, yep. I'm Southern for real. I'd be messing up words. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it, I, it was one of those things. I was like, you know, I made an assumption that they just, they're over there. They're doing their thing, but they were really more interested in what I was doing. I think, I think when we had Michael Dunn on from Westchester Borough, or Westchester, um, the town of Westchester. He was talking about these pockets and he said, the people really want trees there. Nobody's ever asked them. And if they want them, they get them. And this is, this is the problem also that, you know, why do people have to be in a pocket that is low income and not have trees when everyone should have trees? Everyone should have trees. 
it's it's almost like you know let's turn our back on that neighborhood because we don't like the way it looks let's just not plan anything there and i and i find that so difficult to take i know my grandmother lived down in northern liberties when it was not gentrified and uh there were the only trees that they they had were in the back in the in the rubble in the back by the pipe factory that was behind her home and uh they they were fortunate when uh, uh an invasive tree came in because it it greened the neighborhood she had a little plot in the backyard she had a garden most definitely but for the most part there were no trees on the street at all mm. and uh it wasn't until they started gentrifying the neighborhood that they started putting trees in and there's a there's a perfect example of a place that didn't have anything it was an industrial area so they just didn't bother with anything. Why should we bother? Because it's an industrial area. Abra, does um, Atlanta have a citizens-based tree planting initiative? We have tree tenders here in Philadelphia. In fact, if you have a minute, our very first guest was uh, Mindy Maslin, the longtime coordinator for Pennsylvania Horticulture Society's tree tenders program. Oh, we do have something similar. I, if I remember correctly, it's called the Tree Planting Commission. So there are everyday people that sit on a council who have their input on whether a tree can be removed or not after it's been posted. And I still do stand by my statement that our tree ordinance can and should be more restrictive. And I am aware because I remember I just called it on the news. Within this year, there was a person in Atlanta, a woman, I wish I could remember her name, she was advocating for that and honestly fighting for it because the construction continues as, as Atlanta continues to grow and the trees just are not protected with it. And, and here's a good point. Uh, I was in Atlanta years and years ago um, to visit an old boyfriend of mine. And uh, when he moved there, I was absolutely aghast at how many trees there were, especially along the waterways. And th there was a study that was done that Atlanta at one time had the cleanest water in the country or the state of Georgia had the cleanest water in the country because they protected the green belts along the waterways. It wasn't until the 1980s that they started massive construction and demolition of green spaces to put in housing right up against the river, right up against the waterways, that actually started to degrade the, the water. And it was a what they call a reverse study of um, decline in water quality. And it, it's, it's, you can go online and take a look. You'll, you'll see that there's documentation on it. But the sad part about it was it was pristine back in the 70s, early 80s, until devastation started to happen. And it was what we would classify as improvements by building. And yeah. that's where the crime is. I, I live that, and, and I say that because I'm not, it's not, I'm just from Atlanta. My family's been here for five generations, so I have even seen the trees. And even people come here today and say, oh, it's trees everywhere. And I'm thinking, well, you should have seen it when I was a kid in the 80s. And so I may not, I think the point that I started seeing major change for me, my memory was when Atlanta was awarded the Olympics. And then I started, even as a, uh, uh, I was at that time, I think in middle school, but you could start seeing these, I started seeing gaps 
I remember like riding by somewhere and there used to be a big old patch of trees and then the next thing you know it was just gone mm -hmm. and a building would go up and then that just it has honestly has never stopped to be honest so it's like I mean, a domino effect where one tree goes down and oh people aren't going to miss it and then the next thing you know oh people aren't going to miss it and then and mcmansions yeah yeah those coming in where people say they want the bigger house and then they you know want to put in a driveway and the tree comes out but anyway don't it kind of this is like upsetting me to talk about these things. ain't it yes well, yeah, tell I'm me about it i'm going to change the subject here a little welcome bit. to my world i'm going to um ask you um, and, I, and I heard in one of your presentations um, how you got the name Conquering the Soil and for your company. And I was really fascinated by, by your um, presentation. So if you could share that with our audience, that, that would be great. I got the name Conquer the Soil from the phenomenal W.E.B. Du Bois, the great American intellect, academic, first black man to graduate from Harvard and I'm not even saying that I'm worthy of his words and I do not take lightly that that's where the name of the company comes from. So I definitely try to live in my purpose and, and do right by him. And the, the, the words conquer the soil were written in his book, The Souls of Black Folk. And there's the passage in there where he is talking about uh, the enslaved Africans and what they brought to what this land that we are in now, the United States of America, um, which was and is the land of the Native Americans first and foremost and always. So I do want to acknowledge that. And what Mr. Du Bois was saying was he was talking about the enslaved Africans' three gifts, their gift of story, their gift of spirit and song, and their gift of brute and strength and this ability to conquer the soil. And that's what he was talking about. And what he was honestly referencing was that what we know and are starting to openly acknowledge now that enslaved uh, people were not brought here in bondage from West Africa because they were dummies or had marbles in their brain. They were exceptional cultivators of the soil. And, mm. and that is an actual fact. And they were exceptional agrarians and exceptional fishermen, and exceptional farmers. And so when he talked about their ability to conquer the soil, Eva, how I swear it was like, you know, in the movies when the words rise off of the pages, I was like, oh, that's, that's the name that I'm going to go by because it just resonated. It felt like, like the ancestors were speaking to me. And I was, and also I would have never put those words together. And that's why he's WB Du Bois and I'm Avery Lee down in Atlanta because <laughs> I don't, I don't think that eloquently. This is fascinating what you just laid out. And I don't know how much time we have left, but I'd like to invite you to just keep riffing on what you're talking about, because this, this is some new stuff for me to take in. Oh, well, the book, um, it's one of those books how I, I couldn't just read it straight through. Yeah. You can tell an intellectual person wrote sure. this book. And it was something that I had to read in part. Um, and, and when I came across that part, it just stayed in my brain and I knew I wanted to do something with it. So again, I, I use it as, as my business name, but more important, it allowed me to connect things about my own culture and heritage. So I mentioned my mom earlier. She is, she, honestly, she's the best historian I've ever known in my mm -hmm. lifetime. And she's a retired educator. And she also grew up in Barnesville, Georgia. And I've talked about Atlanta, this whole podcast, but we went to the dirt road country on the weekends to the family farm. And her 
speaking to me about history and challenging me to know more about my own history. And it was my mother. And I'm going to bring this back to W. Boy's house. And she asked me my own mother. And I cannot remember this book, but I am going to find it one day in her house. But there's tens of thousands of books in my parents' house. I'm not kidding. It's overrun with books. She pulled out a history book for me one day. And it was about maybe, honestly, probably 15 years ago. And it was a book that she had. And it talked about how Auburn University, my alma mater, used to sneak George Washington Carver in at night to teach the professors and help them. And I don't know where she got this from. Again, this was around the time I was the arborist. And it didn't occur to me to, to hold on to that and say who wrote it. And I don't doubt that for one bit. And, and for your listeners that don't know, Auburn and Tuskegee University, where Dr. Carver was, are literally on the same street. It's just like 20 minutes down the road. And so Conquer the Soil has allowed me to go full circle back to that moment where she told me that fact of Black garden history about Dr. Carver. And it led me on this path for wanting to know more. And well, if they were sneaking in Dr. Carver, then who else was out there? And so I started seeking out actively the history of black people in forestry or landscape mm. architecture or floriculture or horticulture. So that is what Conquer the Soil has done for me. Du Bois's words have allowed me to my purpose in a way that has, it, it, it makes it something that I know I can do the rest of my life and, and, and feel good about. That's amazing. That's. It almost sounds like these when enslaved people were brought to the States, you, Du Bois was making the point that they were almost chosen because the skill set was already being perceived by landowners in the States. These are the people that are gonna build my farm and, and grow my crops. They understand how to make it happen. Yes, and, he, and this is also how a point in time in America where Du Bois and people like, um, it's going to come to me. I can't believe I'm not calling this man's name, but it'll come to me. Um, the father of Black History Month. And I feel so embarrassed as a Black woman to not be able to say his name right now. But my point is this. He was specifically talking about what you just said and that the United States at this time, because the boys is born in, in a situation where he's born um, as a free Black man, but there were plenty of people who were around him who had yeah. a parent or a grandparent who had been recently in slavery. And his point was that the black people around me, this is the early 1900s, you've taken everything from them. You've taken your language, their language. You've taken their families from them. You've taken their food, their stories, their song. And yet this black culture, Carter G. Woodson, Carter G. Woodson is the name I couldn't say. Thank you. This culture where you've taken everything from them and stripped them of everything, they've still created a new culture. They still conquered the soil here, right? They still held on to their stories and their song and found a new way. So he was saying it as a Carter G. Woodson was, as a Ida B. Wells was from this point of pride. And that was the point where you start seeing a very active interest in people being uh, conscious to collect Black stories and to record our history in real time because it's like, it's a phenomenal feat to take some take everything someone has and they invent a whole new culture. That's incredible. It's honestly incredible. So uh, that's what he was referencing. And I don't think that any of us can argue that point. I mean, it was just, it's just a beautiful thing. And I think that this is why I get really annoyed when people say, 
this is, you know, we need to plant all native trees because non-native trees that come here can form communities just like the people did when they came over. Trees have that same capability as the black community did to recreate a community for themselves. And, and um, trees have that same resilience to be able to, to be transported halfway around the world and to be planted in soil that they've never been in before and they can grow. I mean, that's, that's the connection I'm getting here that no matter how you look at things, we can, try to, we can try to destroy a people, but we can't because they're deeply rooted. And we try to destroy a tree and we can't do it because it can deeply root itself in a community that it creates or picks to, the seed picks to land there. I mean, those are the kind of things that we need to start seeing the parallels between those likenesses because people are no different than any other living thing on earth. We are not any different. Whether it's, you know, the story of the groundhog that when you move him, he dies. Don't move a groundhog because he's so connected to that soil and that family that he has that he, he just, he mourns, so he dies. You know, we are different though, Eva, because humans do the best job hurting our planet and hurting each other. Well, yeah, you're right about that. That's what makes us different. That is exactly. And we may have the biggest, we really don't have the biggest brains or the smartest brains uh, because now we're finding out that other animals can be equally intellectual without us, um, without us, without even having us here on the planet. Yeah. I, I think everything else would survive without us. Let's yeah, that's that what way. the pandemic has shown. I've, I've heard <laughs> that. I've seen it's real. We can literally all dissolve. Um, and I do hope I can live a little bit longer. But the point is, is that if we're not here, the world will continue on without us. So we better get our act together. Well, we've covered and start a lot loving of each other a little bit better. We yeah, we need to love each other more. We this has been such a delight to have you on our show, and we wish you continued success with your business and your endeavors as you move through your professional career. Um, I'm just happy that I know you through the Longwood Fellows Program. Th that's where I met her, Hal, and uh, we've been connected ever since. So thanks again for coming. It was a real delight and an honor. That's the same. It's reciprocated. I, I definitely feel the same way. And it's just wonderful to see you. And thank you for embracing me from day one when we met. So um, Hal, I appreciate you as well. Absolutely. And Abra, uh, do you want to give a shout out to your social media portals or anything website? like that? Yeah, sure. My website is uh, conquerthesoil.com, C-O-N-Q-U-E-R-T-H-E-S-O-I-L.com. Um, and my social media, all of my handles are at Conquer the Soil, at Conquer the Soil. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. Thank you so much. We wish you only the best, and we look forward to having you back. Thank you. I appreciate you. Take care. Take Bye. care as well. Bye-bye.
Thank <laughs> you.